Hello and welcome to the Voiro podcast, where we do a week in review of everything we read, heard, watched, and overheard in the world of ad tech, streaming, advertising, marketing, and the internet at large. I'm Anand, and with me, as always, is Kavita Shenoy, founder and CEO of Voiro. How are you, Kavita? It's Friday again. Yay! It's Friday. So this time around, we decided to take it down a couple of notches and go a little deeper into two specific topics. And I'm really excited to talk about mine. I know that you are excited to talk about yours. So let's hit it. What have you got? Okay. Um, earlier this week, I was listening to the Ad Exchanger podcast, which is one of our most loved podcasts um, at Voiro, along with Sway by Kara Swisher, which has now been sunset. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she did her last episode this week. Why? I don't know. Um, she said she moves on to newer projects every now and then. And so now uh, the guest on the last episode was Kara herself and her crew interviewed her. It's quite nice. They talked about her favorite interviews, her toughest interviews, what she thinks of um, Silicon Valley as a culture and technology. And interestingly, when they asked her about the one technology which she thinks will be mainstream 10 years from now, her answer was electric cars. And I'm sure Anil will be very pleased. Oh, of course, our CTO Anil recently had a very exciting trip down to Goa, which is, I think, about six or seven hours down from Bangalore, from where we are. And um, the the west coast of India is not very populated with uh, electric chargers. So he has, I, I've been pestering him to write a long-form article so that he can actually chronicle the mayhem and the adventure that he had along with Jitin, who's our chief product officer and the other two founders of Voiro. But it was hilarious to say the least, And uh, but it was quite memorable for both of them. Can't wait to read what you write, Anil. I hope you're listening to this. I'm going to get him to do it. <laughs> but um, on the Ad Exchanger podcast, um, the guest that they featured this week was the founder of Grapeshot, which was founded in 2005 and then subsequently sold to Oracle. Um, or... In the words of John Snyder, Oracle bought it. He has a, a very interesting opinion about companies that get sold versus companies that get bought, which he touches upon at some point in the podcast. But John Snyder founded Grapeshot, which is a contextual targeting company. And it was a very interesting episode that talked about his journey and the journey of the company. And then he apparently plays the saxophone, uh, which he gave everyone a little taste of. But... It was a very interesting episode for several reasons. Um, one of my big takeaways was this line they used in the podcast where he said, suitability is in the eye of the beholder. And it was a very cool line because they were talking about brand safety versus brand suitability in um, the context of context, in under the umbrella of context as a subject. And the subject of the podcast was that context is king. But... That seems to have always been the case. I don't think that has ever changed. Um, in broader narratives, in broader society, in um, conversations that get taken out of context, I think the, the word context is something that has a very special meaning in multiple circles. In our office, the concept of context switch was something that I was... Um, 2014. Yeah, I was introduced to it in 2014 because I would keep jumping from things and I remember Anil and Jitin saying, can we just please not context switch? Yeah, yeah. Especially with coding, right? Yeah. It's so difficult. 
I remember Radko Vidakovic's poll from, I want to say, eight or ten weeks ago, where he talked about the emerging trends and which ones are going to be more important. And contextual advertising ranked pretty low. But in the eyes of John Snyder and the podcast, contextual advertising is having its day again. Um, Especially with uh, cookies going away. Third yes, party cookies, not yes, first party, but yes. third party cookies going away. There's actually a broader narrative that I think needs to be tabled. Um, within which context has a different meaning or a more special uh, one is across the advertising industry I think there is an entire set of companies and thought leaders who are waking up to the fact that it is time we addressed wasted ad dollars and that means many things that means supply path optimization it means better targeting it means fraud um, we talked about this about three or four weeks ago where we were looking at fraud uh, verification companies who still don't do as good a job as they should. Um, there's an old narrative that says, you know, media planners at agencies are never going to be fired for buying the same stuff again and again, for pumping money back into Google and Facebook and safer avenues. Much like in the 70s and 80s, if you gave technology work to IBM, you wouldn't get fired. It was an old joke. But I, I guess... The broader narrative is around whether or not ad spend is as effective as it can be. And the broader version of that is whether or not the internet is actually tapping into its capabilities and the capabilities that technology allows it to tap into. Um, other broad narratives that we hear about today are the transition to a cookie-less environment. But the harsh truth is that almost every replacement uh, standard or technology that's being tabled kind of resembles cookies. Um, there is a corner of our industry which is waking up to the fact that maybe GDPR has not done everything it set out to do. I guess what I'm trying to get at is the broader narrative is this awakening to the fact that the internet and the advertising industry has taken everything we had in traditional channels like print and radio and television and moved that over to the internet without tapping into what the internet is actually capable of doing. And I think under that umbrella, the narrative from John Snyder and the reason he founded Grapeshot is because he said context can actually be far more nuanced than it is right now. If you look at ad requests and um, look at publishers, there is still this, or at least maybe about six, seven years ago, uh, when, the when, brought, when Grapeshot was growing, there's still this narrative that you are targeting categories because the page represents that category. It could be fashion, it could be sport, it could be uh, politics. And there is still a very broad stroke with which advertisers block certain categories or move towards certain categories. But there is room to have real-time contextual tags that are shipped by machine learning algorithms that can actually understand the content as opposed to depending on categories that the page is already tagged with, which is old-school uh, SEO. Um, for example, if you are a tongue-in-cheek brand and you want to associate yourself with food, food porn is today very commonly used in all of our vernaculars. But if your block list has picked up the word porn, then you'll never be able to show yourself against such content. A lot of brands want to target or want to be uh, associated with LGBTQ content. But if your block lists are 
uh, uh, take, keeping you away from words such as lesbian or trans because those are very broad block lists and those are considered non-brand safe. Non-brand safe, you'll shoot yourself in the foot because you'll do all this work. You'll invest in creatives. You'll actually get content created, but you'll never be able to target the kinds of audience you want to target. Um, there's many examples of this. We spoke about this a uh, couple of podcasts ago as well when WebMD was talking about how certain types of medical terms are also blocked, like body parts. Yeah. And you could be researching or you could be talking about, say, Breast Cancer Awareness Day. Yeah. And it could be a blocked, um, you know, keyword for you and your Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. So how do you appear against WebMD's content that talks about breast cancer? Correct. And you are Johnson & Johnson who's trying to promote awareness. Correct. So context does matter. Correct. Because taken out of context, it may be a word that you don't want to associate with, but in context, it's totally what you want to do. I mean, the digital advertising today is built on top of very broad assumptions like this. Alcohol is bad. The word porn is bad. Um, but it could be that under a certain context, brands actually want to associate with that content. And Grape Shot's entire algorithm is built on the back of the fact that their um, technology can understand context better than broad tags. And context is also very cultural, right? And so the concept of doing this cultural context at scale digitally is where then you need technology because all of this sounds commonsensical. All of this sounds like, of course, we should be doing this. Of course, I should be showing a sport ad next to sport content or, you know, a breast cancer awareness ad next to what is breast cancer, yeah. etc. But how do you do it at scale, right? And so companies like Grapeshot are doing a bang-up job of doing all of this stuff at scale. And they approach it from both directions. One is they have the ability to um, contextualize content and generate thousands of tags and not just rely on page categories and ship those along with the ad request. And that could actually make... Um, that page or that piece of content more premium from a CPM perspective. Two is they also have the ability to recontextualize campaigns themselves and effectively create a better relationship between demand and supply at runtime. And that gives the ability to move from a very broad good or bad association with content and campaigns to being able to say the context here is so different and maybe this is far more premium than we think it is. Uh, it's a very interesting narrative about what they're trying to do. It's very cool. So companies like Grapeshot and uh, even Gum Gum, Gum Gum also does contextual advertising. We were reading about them the other day. They had a very successful campaign with um, Samsung flip phones or fold phones, the ones that fold. And they were able to place these ads next, next to certain types of tech content. So that you knew that the reader was interested in cutting edge tech and so promoting an expensive, you know, piece of, technology like that Samsung phone would probably be better off in front of this particular target audience than anywhere else. So moving on from contextual advertising, where it's, I mean, it's the realm of contextual advertising, uh, we also wanted to talk today a little bit about uh, video game ad advertising. Did you ever play video games or do you still play video games? I still do. Um, I'm told almost 3 billion people on the planet game in some form or function. Um, gaming for me is... Um, uh, uh, on a console, on a PlayStation, where I love to play sports games like FIFA or the NBA or Formula One. Um, and for me, mobile gaming is uh, a few card games that I like to play every now and then. Um, I was on a family trip a couple of weeks ago and we played a lot of blackjack during the weekend. 
and I promptly came home and installed a blackjack game on my phone where I've been playing so miserably I deleted the game yesterday. So is it a game of skill or game of chance? Skill. Oh, all right then. So maybe then we'll we'll find it on land and not uh, banned on boats in casinos and go. Yeah. Yeah, but I do game. I'm one of those three billion. I may not be an avid gamer, but I enjoy gaming. I am not such a big gamer. I used to like dabble a little bit maybe in my early 20s, but nothing really. But I feel like, you know, I'm surrounded by gamers. Uh, and at home I feel like there is a constant screen on somewhere and one of my kids are playing, they're making friends. I know my recently when we went to Singapore, we stayed with a couple of family friends whose kids are avid gamers and we decided to make them meet in real life because we said you know you have common interests you yeah. both play games which i found silly at some point in my life but i feel like there's a there's a lot of potential in video gaming and the concept of video games right and the 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 technology that has moved so quickly and so fast in the capability of storytelling is amazing and I feel like history can be taught better in schools maybe physics yeah, there is like a lot of immersive educationary outlets with gaming that you can actually find that maybe maybe the future generations or even our kids now can experience yeah i, I feel like i sometimes want to keep up and uh, because all of my gaming is still very old school games right the playstations been oh, around do tell do tell uh, poker's been around blackjack's been around i remember your daughter's birthday wish list from a few months ago where one of the items on the list was a robux and i didn't know what it meant so i <laughs> yeah instead took her wall climbing my yeah, wife and yeah, i took yeah. her wall climbing i remember i remember but i remember one of our friends also scrambling to buy these so called robux and they were like is it this is more expensive than real money and i was like yeah it's a little bit more expensive but she wanted to buy them so that she could she could dress her avatar up in the way that she actually looked in real life so at the time she had very long hair and so she wanted to be wanted to be this girl who wore purple and had long hair and um so that's what she spent her robux on and that's and and she was otherwise a chipmunk or a donut or some such thing and she didn't want to be it and she wanted to she said you know people who I play with should know who I am which i found bizarre because she plays things like among us and and other kinds of robux roblox games which god good lord which really confused me because you're playing with absolute strangers anyway but in game advertising or at gaming advertising uh, i should say has come a really really long way and can be divided into two specific groups um commonsensically one is it's uh, in game play and then there is outside game play right and in game play is where even companies like uh, grapeshot and companies like uh, bitstream and stuff like that have a lot of a lot of play over here because they are trying to make it move it from being static to dynamic So if you played all of your mobile games you you know and if it's free and it's ad supported sometimes the ads can be extremely intrusive they they pop up over the bottom third or the lower third or they have they have interstitials or they have like in the middle of a game they'll suddenly have an ad that plays out and so on and so forth so it's it really breaks the flow and but these are casual games so and you're not paying much for it so you, you know it's fine you kind of you kind of live with it but um over the years what has happened is that this current generation who's actually grown up playing games has realized that they could actually make a living playing games and the people who actually, who could pay for their living while they do things that they're passionate about which is playing fortnite or playing valorant or whatever other game that they play they can actually be sponsored like any regular sport any kind of sport that you have today which is athletic in nature you could actually be sitting on your couch strategizing and playing and you get paid by marketers to do it so there has been a huge movement to make sure that 
in-game advertising is becoming more immersive, less intrusive and uh, a lot richer. Um, the luxury brands for some reason have got on this bandwagon pretty quick. So back in from 2020 to 2021, we saw a lot of activity. Um, Balenciaga actually had a an entire, they released an entire line of clothing within Fortnite. And these pieces of clothing could be bought in real life in their stores, but you could also buy them as what your avatar would wear. And then they created games around this clothing and this line of um, there for that particular season. So they had this bag and you could go find this bag and so on and so forth. So they created a lot of buzz around it and it is, and it's right in there in that game. So people interacted with them, etc. Then there was Gucci who did something else where they had this bag that was out as an NFT. And in real life, it costs around three and a half thousand dollars. And somebody bought it um, on uh, on Roblox. They bought it for what would finally convert to in in real money to about four thousand five hundred dollars. And it's a it's a bag. It's a it's 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 a graphic bag. It's you can't touch it. You can't feel it. But you can own it. And it's not an NFT. It's an actual just an accessory that you're carrying. And as interestingly, eMarketer just put out the statistic that 63% of US, US luxury shoppers are below the age of 45. That's a huge number. So there are a lot of young people who are currently hooked on to playing games, who are making a living out of playing games. They are actually generating an income for themselves and they are buying luxury goods. So it's... So there are, there is definitely a, a huge case for why brands like Gucci and Balenciaga and, and the rest are actually on these gaming sites and they are building out all of these various types of assets on, on gaming sites, right? Um, the other type of, so the, the run of the mill advertising there are banner ads, you know, whatever you see in real life, which is like billboards and, uh, you know, side banners and maybe stadium, uh, um, you know, around a stadium, around a, around, a, uh, around a racetrack. All of that is already in there. And that's moving from being static to dynamic. And when you say static, it's when you kind of hard coded into the game and you have to really work. It's with, a lifelong association. Yeah, it's a lifelong association. And it's terrible for both, for all three, right? The user, the game owner, as well as the marketer, because they can't really change it out unless you upgrade the entire version. So... Bitstream is one of those companies that's trying to make this far more dynamic where they are plugging into properties on console games and other types of games where you can actually insert even on insert even on uh, you know when you're playing football on t-shirts of players you can insert your logo or your name and like and you know sort of have your team out there with with all of those logos and they do it dynamically so in the next coming years you know there will be so many more of in these kinds of companies and obviously Google and Facebook will take a big chunk because they'll have a lot of these people plugging into their systems and I'm pretty sure they're already doing it. And the ability to do this programmatically right now is a bit iffy because it has to one get adopted, the other, other thing for any kind of scalability, it has to be simple and in-game advertising is anything but simple, right? It's not yet standardized. So it'll take some time, but it'll get there. Um, the other very, um, what, what's favored a lot amongst gamers are reward-based ads. I'm sure you've also got them, right? Yeah. You're dead and then yeah. you get some life back. Or, or watch this 30-second ad and we'll give you 5,000 coins or we'll give you a chance to sort of spawn again in the game. And I actually, I was reading this e-marketer stat that 76% 76 of users 
actually prefer um, uh, in-game ads to be reward-focused as opposed to mandatory. Um, and I've been thinking about that since I read that article that you shared because it takes me back to my broader view of advertising in general. We run Voiro. Voiro is a company that helps companies, helps organizations manage ad revenue and grow their ads business. And so I keep wondering if I should naturally be inclined to just love ads anytime I see them. But if I wear my consumer hat, for me, I don't like ads if they don't belong in a certain spot. Context. That's context, right? But not the context of the, of the brand itself, but the context of whether or not that ad should even exist in that space. And it's interesting because it is sometimes contradictory in nature, right? I'll give you an example. If I'm playing a game on my console, I don't want to see an ad because I've paid for the console, I've paid for the game, and that's it. I have now contributed to this economy. I'm not freeloading on anybody else's time in this scenario. But if I'm playing a free game on my phone, which I downloaded on the App Store and I've paid nothing for, and you want to throw an ad in my face and say, watch this ad and I'll give you 5,000 coins, I'll give you some reward in the game, I really don't mind it because in that context, I haven't really paid for anything. But if you look at something like live sport, where I've actually maybe paid for a subscription, but in the middle of the Super Bowl or the Oscars or the IPL, you're still going to show me an ad. I'm still okay with it because there is some sense of normalcy there. Every cricket match I've ever watched in my life has an ad between overs. So in some sense, you're not interrupting my experience. You're stitched in in a manner that's It's expected, native. right? It's expected. And you're going to do expected. other stuff during the time. Get yourself a drink. Yeah. I guess that's the bottom line. If I don't expect an ad to be there, if I'm reading an article and it's an interstitial, I, I hate interstitials because it, it interrupts something else that I'm trying to do. Um, rewards for me make perfect sense because it's giving me something back. Um, it's a quick interaction where I can choose to skip it. I can choose to not take those 5,000 coins. Um, also, I'm there for free in some sense. So this new age relationship between brands and consumers that is contextual to the underlying experience is I think where gaming has so much potential, whether it's in-game ads, whether it's static or dynamic ads, or even whether it's ads that are connected to platforms like Twitch, where you're streaming a game, you're not really playing the game, you're watching the game. It's still an environment for gamers, by gamers, with gamers. But streaming games is another experience or another um, realm where I think ads have an interesting space to play. And if you take all of this and say, well, 3 billion people on the planet are gaming, I think there's massive potential for, for sure. everyone involved. For sure. You know, you say that you don't like ads on consoles, and but Microsoft and Sony have allowed ads, but that's because you have to have some way for um, marketers to interact with people who want to benefit from yeah. marketing dollars. So today, like you were talking about the fact that you want to be able to stream your ga gameplay on Twitch. Now, what if you were doing it off your Microsoft console and you wanted to have an easier way to access marketing money? Maybe this is, you know, a first step towards it. So I'm hoping that whatever ads that come in over there are actually contextual. They are in line. They are, they are to uh, the benefit of the gamer in itself. And it's also to increase that kind of commerce that's happening on gaming. And speaking of commerce, the other thing that is very popular, it's not really advertising, so to speak, but microtransactions that happen in uh, in gameplay, uh, like, you know, buying your Balenciaga uh, jacket or your Gucci bag or buying your avatar or your Robux or whatever other microtransactions are there, um, are actually based on something called gacha games. 
and I found it very interesting in this particular um, article, of course, by uh, Ad Exchange Explainer, which is about, uh, which is basically the name is derived from gashpon, which is a Japanese term for vending machines that sell toys and plastic in plastic capsules. You know, the ones with claws in them and things like that. So. You can, you know, you can actually buy uh, new outfits, different types of avatars, and there are, sm there are small amounts of money that go, but it's money all right. And there are microtransactions and you get small things in return. So the effort and impact for you is really, really low, but it adds up over time because you're constantly at it. You're changing the color of your hair, you're buying yourself new clothes, maybe you want your metaverse space to look different, whatever, right? So there's a lot, lot going on over there. I think I, I mentioned... Uh, I, I think I call BitStack BitStream for some reason, right? So, but it's it's actually an in-game ad platform called BitStack. And Francesco Petrozelli, who's the CTO of this particular ad platform, is really breaking new ground on how people can access all of these in-game advertising spaces at scale. And they have a very nice way of stacking their um, the types of ad placements, uh, you know, within within ads across. They have in-game ads. They have in-menu ads. They have racing environments, they have open world environments, and they have stadium environments. So, you know, just these things actually can, you know, fire our imagination to figure out, okay, what else, where all can I place my logo, my ad, my brand, and how can I engage with users? Um, so, while in-game advertising is uh, a big deal, a lot has changed also in making sure that marketers are comfortable putting their money on these platforms. And that goes, and this is something that is, always come into all of our podcasts, which is measurement. How are you proving to somebody that this is actually effective? I know that, you know, I'm sure that you've seen an ad that has, or heard an ad, but you couldn't find it. You're, you're playing this game and you can hear this ad and you're like, oh my God, where do I mute it? And it's just like third scroll down and like playing, blurring out loudly. And it's always, it's, I mean, it's always detrimental for platforms to do this because then your marketers at some point in time are going to find out and then you'll have a dispute on who's going to pay for that ad. So from 2009, there was not, in, there was no work that was done on trying to figure out um, what would constitute as an ad served. And in 2022, um, they came out with some new rules and they, I mean, IAB. And if you look, if you read their rules, they have basically come up, they have basically focused on two things. One is for them to be device aware. So viewability is based on the device and the screen size. And there is at least 50% of that particular ad has to be viewable. And the other after the viewability comes time spent. So it's either a second or two seconds continuously that needs to be spent. It's in, it's in that order. But it's about viewability, it's about being device aware, it's about the fact that the user can actually see this ad and it's not just playing randomly somewhere or has loaded and, and, has, and has been around for the, for the entire user session but the user has not yet interacted with it. So there is definitely a move to make sure that ad dollars are moving in the right direction, that it's provable and there's provable ROI. Speaking of ROI, speaking of marketing dollars and speaking of this looming recession, what say you of the next six months in marketing and advertising? I was reading the DigiDay article that you shared about the global squeeze, as they put it. And I was reading it and I think the next 12 to 18 months are going to see a lot of noise. And they talk about this topic of cascading consequences. I think this is new territory because 
there are just too many moving parts globally. I, I am fairly certain, maybe about 10 years ago, if you'd ask someone to bet that we would be dealing with these many macro trends, um, I don't think anyone would have put their money on it. We have not just inflation, but uh, stagflation, which is a combination of inflation, slow growth, and high, un high and steady unemployment. Um, we are, depending on who you speak to, we are either in the middle of a pandemic or coming out of one um, or recovering from one. Um, there's war, rising interest rates, tightening fiscal, fiscal policies. It almost sounds biblical, right? Yeah, and I, I am personally, I'm not entirely certain if the combination of all of these things cancel each other out or if they are additive or if they are compounding in nature. And I think as a result of this, there is just so much uncertainty and that is something we've seen before. 2008, uh, 2020, when the pandemic first started and there was a looming recession back then, uncertainty tends to drive a certain type of behavior among marketers, which again is something that's very category specific. Um, in times where you are approaching a recession where you think that consumer spending power is going to go down, there's a lot of uh, uh, advertiser or brand categories that will automatically be impacted far more than others. But what we are seeing and what we have heard from our customers and from our friends across the industry is that in times of uncertainty, marketers are going to want a lot more from their existing dollars. They might not cut expenditure, but they will definitely expect their marketing spend to go a longer way for them. And that could result in a couple of different way, types of behavior. One is you might look at marketers who want a lot more performant uh, ad expenditure, meaning they want their ad spends to either give them better returns or they might move their ad spend in the direction of uh, more performant ad units or more, more performant uh, channels. The other could be marketers who just want a lot more certainty. When the world is moving to a, in, in a more uncertain direction, they might do more on upfronts, for example. They might do a lot more to lock their prices in and continue to spend the way they're spending. Either way, marketers are going to look to limit the damage that could come their way if the uncertainty that everyone is predicting actually plays out or gets worse. Um, that could mean many things. It could mean certain categories get affected. It could mean uh, larger publishers tend to continue to exist because they are seen as safer options, whereas smaller publishers will suffer. It could mean agencies will find a harder time because the way to become more efficient has always been to cut out middlemen, meaning agencies will have to work harder to prove and offer better services and maybe offer them for free because no one's going to increase their budgets to pick up new things. And so I think this is also going to end up squeezing the supply side, which is something that we see a lot. We work at Voiro, we work very closely with uh, monetization teams and folks on the supply side who will try to ensure that they are effective, they are efficient, and they are able to drive a lot more revenue in their direction and put all of their audience to to um, to use to make sure that they are able to tie it through the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, content, as we all know, is expensive. Um, and every one of our uh, supply side partners and customers want to make sure that they draw in the maximum amount of revenue so that they survive. And so it's going to be an interesting dynamic, but I think the combination of all of these at the very least is going to result in far more uncertainty than anybody has ever experienced before. Very true. And supply going direct will probably be one of the biggest things that publishers 
need to prepare themselves for. People will want to cut out middlemen in various ways, forget agencies, but even trying to make sure that they're trying to get inventory through, say, uh, you know, an exchange and so on and so forth. So you can see a lot of publishers who are trying to set up their own self-service portals, uh, trying to make sure that they're having, you know, supply path optimization with their trade desks and so on and so forth. So there's a lot that's going on, but safe to say that we're all buckling in and uh, we're going to be on this road for a really long time. So everybody has to be really careful about the moves that they make. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, we've seen something like this in some shades before, but also there's a lot of stuff that we don't know because the indicators also of a recession are not really loud and blaring. There is still spending going on. There is still hiring going on. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it seems to be in various types of pockets. And like you said, certain types of advertising and say certain types of brands and products will be far more careful. That rounds up our week. And um, with contextual advertising, with in-game advertising, and the fact that we have a massive recession coming up and we don't know how it's going to hit us all, but we're all, we're, we all better be prepared. Let's all just focus on results, I guess, and have a happy weekend. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.